You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. Do we have any people in here that love the Bible? That's a trick question. If you don't love the Bible, we won't shame you. But I mean, just, <laughs> but you should really get on board, you know, becoming a fan of the Bible. Um, one of my goals as a shepherd, uh, as a teacher for Upper Room Frisco is I want us to have a firm grasp and love for Scripture. I want us to understand the the foundational basic doctrines of our faith, and not only know what to believe, but know why we believe. Um, and I don't, I don't want to teach you what to think. I want to teach you how to think. So like, if I taught you what to think, then you would always need a teacher to tell you what to think. But if we talk about Jesus and magnify his presence and glory, then you will always have the person to go to to figure out how to think. Amen? Does that make sense? So like, I don't, facts inflate our head. You know, knowledge puffs up, right? But love builds up. And so, but I want us to um, have biblical literacy in every department of this church, from children's to youth, adults, and small groups to be infused with with the Bible, with strong scriptural teaching. Uh, my introduction to the Bible came from my mom. Uh, my mom and dad loved the Holy Spirit from before I was born, and my mom uh, would read scripture to me from before I could speak. She would read the stories of the Bible to me, and um, she, I remember, I mean, so many times, vividly remember my mom coming into my room at night, and we would pray prayers and and I wanted to make sure that I prayed for every family member by name. <laughs> and we had a big family. The shucks don't play. Like, there were 60 shucks just in my hometown. So, like, I was going through cousins and aunts and uncles, and my mom would fall asleep on the side of the bed often as I'm just asking God to, you know, bless, you know, cousin Corey and Kristen and Kylie and, yeah, and Karen. I mean, There's a lot of Ks in that. Anyway, so... Um, that's, that was my introduction to the Bible. I, and I remember looking forward to coming home on half days in kindergarten. Anybody else grow up with half days for kindergarten? Yeah. Is that still a thing? Oh, man. Whew. Well, I loved half days because it meant that I was going to get home early. I would have lunch with my mom, which is usually like grilled cheese. And she would read the Bible to me. My mom would read Bible stories to me almost every day. And I looked forward to getting home to hear, about, hear more about Noah and Jonah and David and the creation story. And, um, and I would ask questions. And can you turn this down just a little bit? It sounds like it's... I would, I would ask questions and my mom would just pour into me, you know, from, from the Bible. And... Um, there's this verse, I think it's um, Proverbs, is it 20, 22, 22, 4, 24? I can't remember which it is, but it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. Um, I recently read a, a couple um, articles on this, and when you go back to the Hebrew, that verse actually says something slightly different than what we've traditionally learned. I traditionally learned that 
If you train up a child in the way he should go, he won't depart from it. Meaning that if you train up a child and um, you know get them in the right Bible study classes or Sunday school classes and teach them right from wrong and and teach them, uh, you know, kind of in, indoctrinate him into the um, the religious systems, you know, of your. Uh, society, then when they're old, they'll, they won't depart from it. Has anybody seen that to not be true? It's okay. Like we, we've all, we all have stories of that not being the case. And so uh, what this, what these articles I read about this um, scripture actually say is that the, the proper way to translate it in Hebrew is train up a child in their way, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. In other words, help your children find out who they are, what they're gifted in, what they're called to, encourage them into it, and that is actually the way of Christ for them. When they're old, they won't depart from it. My mom was like that. She was the quintessential, like, over-encourager. I could do no wrong. You know, like, you got this, Jeremy. You're amazing. You can do anything. Like, that was my mom. It was such, such a great person to have in, in my corner. Um, I, uh, so throughout my childhood years, though, I remember, you know, the, the tradition of coming home and having my mom, my mom read the Bible to me uh, began to wane for things like playing with my friends in the neighborhood and playing sports and, and riding bikes. And that was great. I mean, that was the, that's a path for, for you know, most kids to go out and, and enjoy life. Then I vividly remember when I was 11 years old, this one evening, I saw the Bible in my room. And I felt inexplic- inexplicably drawn to it. I like had to open it up and, and read it. And I, and I started in Genesis and it was the first time I had ever cracked the Bible open in my, under my own volition, like to read it for myself. Like it wasn't a group project. It wasn't Sunday school. It wasn't my mom reading to me. It was me by myself, 11 years old, grabbing my Bible and wanting to know for myself what it said. And there was the creation story just like my mom told me about, just like I learned in Sunday school. And there's, there's Noah and, and, and David and, and Jonah. And, and, I'm, and I decided um, that I, th- there must be so many more stories in here that I've missed. And I was fascinated. And so I decided to start reading the Bible from cover to cover secretly because for some reason I was embarrassed and didn't want my parents to know that I was you know, like, you know, really diving into scripture. And, uh, and I didn't know why I was embarrassed. I just was. And so I kept it a secret. And, and I, um, before I got a, out of middle school, I had read, you know, from the first page of Genesis to the last page of Revelation. And uh, I was developing uh, an insatiable love for the Lord. I was having encounters with God from an, like, from an early age. There was always spiritual phenomena in my life. And and prophetic dreams in the night, and then reading through scripture, that those kinds of things increased. And I, I was fascinated by the Lord, and I was just continually drawn back to him. By the time I got out of high school, you know, some of this might sound like a brag, but I'm, I just want to tell you like what the Lord has done in my life. 
Um, because by the time I got out of high school, I had read through the Bible several times, every, every word. And I, I was just a, I was one of those Jesus freak kids. Like I went to a public school, uh, high school and people called me God boy and <laughs> Jesus freak. And I had the really embarrassing t-shirts that, that would take like a, um, some business and then change it into like a scripture or something. So like instead of Abercrombie and Fitch, I had a breadcrumb and fish. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you own those t-shirts, right? I had, uh, I had one t-shirt, this one was my favorite. Instead of the Ford symbol, it read Lord. <laughs> and you'd have to do a double take because the L and the F look so similar in that cursive. So <laughs> I mean, that was the way I grew up and I, I, I couldn't shut up about Jesus. I wanted everyone in my high school to, uh, to know the Lord. And, um, but slowly what began to happen is I went from a place of reading the Bible for, for fascination and for the stories and to searching for rules. And, um, and I was developing like my own system of righteousness. Um, and I felt shame and fear, you know, going into those early teen years with the changes that happened, I felt shame because um, I couldn't behave rightly all the time. And I felt fear that I would end up on the wrong side of God's judgment. And so rule upon rule, I would bring into my life. I would search through scriptures and even like where it would say like rules for holy living. I mean, it's all marked up. I still have the same Bible from when I was a kid. Thompson chain reference, NIV. Grew up in the Vineyard Church. The joke was, it's necessary in Vineyard, NIV. Anyway, <clears throat> I developed a system of uh, righteousness, and I was reading the Bible for the do's and do nots, and slowly but surely straying away from reading it for encounter, reading it for, for fascination. And um, because I was afraid of ending up on the wrong side of God's judgment, I would... Um, I tried to control my behavior through um, what historically would be called the law, you know? And I remember not being able to go to sleep at night. I would, before I repented of every sin that I could possibly remember that I committed that day, sweet little baby Jeremy, 12 years old, laying in bed, afraid to go to sleep. Because I was afraid that if I died, you know, I pray the Lord my soul to take. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That prayer turned into a scary warning to me. Had anybody else ever experienced this growing up? So like I thought that I had to, I had to clear the decks every night because if I, I, I certainly didn't want to not wake up in my bed and wake up in the angry face of a judging father. By the time um, I had graduated, I, um, I'd, like I said, I'd read through the Bible a whole lot of times, um, and I had created, um, or I had embraced a, a, a crippling religious spirit. And so instead of Instead of loving people, I was judging them for not obeying God's rules. 
And I would look at my friends in high school, and I would, instead of praying that they would meet the Lord and that, that you know, the, the desires of their heart would be fulfilled, instead of like humbly like holding them up, I looked at them and said, I would never do what they're doing. Like in my heart, I would think I'd, I wouldn't party like that. I wouldn't do those things. I can't believe that they're experimenting with that stuff. And, and it turned into um, just a horrible um, powder keg of spiritual pride. And there, it, would, it would take a moment for a match to be lit and for all of that to crumble around me. And that's what happened when I you know, turned 18. I was so uh, judgmental and filled with spiritual pride and at the same time so curious about what the world had to offer that I, I ran from the church and I became the prodigal son story, like full on. Um, and for two years, I, I wasn't walking with the Lord. And a couple of years in, I had this old friend from church called me up and say, Jeremy, I, I want to spend time with you. And I didn't want to spend time with him because I was kind of a junkie and I didn't want him to judge me. And, but for some reason I said yes. And so I met up with my old friend that I went to church with and he looked me in the eye and he, first of all, he just loved me for, for two days, just took me out on the town, bought my food, showed me around. He looked me in the eye one night and said, Jeremy, what are you doing to yourself? And I wanted to have that bravado shield come up, like, whatever, man, I'm going to live the way I want. Um, but instead, I just began to weep. I like crumbled because I felt, I felt the presence of the Lord. I felt conviction. And, um, and, I, and in my tears, I was saying, I don't know, man. And I don't know how to get back, but I want to. Do you think he'll take me back? And I fell asleep, you know, weeping in the presence of the Lord. And um, the only way I can describe it is, you know how like your smell is the most tightly tied sense to your memory? Like when you smell something from your past, like it can immediately in your mind, you can go back to that. So like I grew up in a house where we love the presence of the Lord. Like we worshiped together. We read the Bible. I knew what... The Holy Spirit, what it felt like when the presence of the Lord was there. I knew what the anointing felt like. And it was like an old smell that I had grown up in. And I had one whiff of the Holy Spirit again, and all the memories flooded back in. And I remembered, oh my goodness, you're real. What have I done to your heart? I'm so sorry. You're real, you're real, you're real. I woke up the next morning speaking in tongues, worshiping Jesus, like overshot the runway back into the kingdom. I was leading worship at like four different churches, like within a month. Um, You know, rediscovered the Bible, reacquainted myself with, with scripture. And even though I'd spent a lot of time in the word, my, my theology was still just a jumbled mess. I knew a lot of random doctrines or good things to say. I knew the, the, the Bible stories and I knew, I knew the rules. Um, but I didn't have anything to like really make it all work together, like a systematic or a, um, almost like a, a Rosetta Stone um, to, to make the Bible make sense. 
And uh, one day, about 20 years ago, I, I remember Bill Johnson saying something. And he said, uh, Jesus is perfect theology. And I thought, it can't be like, that's, for some reason, I'm a little bit offended when I hear that. It can't be that simple. But then I, I, as I was dwelling on it and meditating on it, I, it just began to make more and more sense. This Jesus, uh, he is the exact representation of God. And when I began to look at the life of Jesus, his ways, the way he would speak, uh, his mission, his, you know, his, his birth, his, you know, his suffering, his parables, the, the way he loved the sinners, the way he didn't like religion, the way he laid down his life, rose from the dead, uh, ascended to the right hand of the Father. When I began to pull apart the, the life of Jesus and look at it, I realized that he became my hermeneutic. The her- a hermeneutic is the lens through which you see scripture. It's your interpretive tool. So Jesus, I put on Jesus glasses, essentially, and I began to read scripture through the lens of Christ. And man, everything began to make sense, right? Anybody else ever have this kind of journey? Amen. Hallelujah. Um, so Jesus became my lens. And then I saw that Jesus actually gives us permission to make him our lens, Jesus wants to become our Rosetta Stone, so to speak, because he would say things like, well, this is uh, John 1.14. Let me say it like this first. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus would say things if you like, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. John 5.19 says, I only do what I see my father doing. John 12, 49, Jesus says, I don't speak on my own. The father who sent me commanded me to say all the things I've spoken. And so Jesus is saying, my actions line up with him. My words line up with him. And if you've seen me, you've seen him. And then Jesus, when he's talking to the Pharisees, he delineates between a knowledge of scripture and a knowledge of him. And he puts it like this. He says, you diligently study the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which speak of me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you would have life. So Jesus is saying, you're searching the scriptures for rules. You're searching the scriptures for how to live life. You're searching the scriptures for all kinds of reasons, diligently pouring over. These are the guys who could quote the Bible. And Jesus says, all those scriptures are pointing to me. Everything you're reading about in there is about me. And, but you can't see it. You're not coming to me that you would have life. And then after Jesus, um, raises from the dead. He appears to two of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And this is Luke 24, 27. Jesus appears to them. Of course, they don't, they don't know it's Jesus yet. He's been able to disguise who he is. But it says this in verse 27, Jesus, uh, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Did y'all ever catch that? 
How cool would that be? To have resurrected Jesus come walk with you and completely open all of scripture to show from the beginning to the end how it's about him. That sounds like a fun Sunday morning. Bring it, Holy Ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Hebrews 1 puts it like this. In the past, God spoke to us through the prophets at many times in many different ways. But in these last days, he's speaking to us through his son the exact representation of his nature, the very radiance of God through whom he made the universe. Woo! What? Like that is chock full of goodness right there. Jesus, like the, the author of Hebrews is saying in this moment, there are all sorts of incredible things that have happened throughout history, but nothing so is incredible as the incarnation. Jesus coming to fully reveal the Father to us. Colossians 1 puts it like this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. John 8, 19 says, if you know me, you know my Father also. John 10, 30 says, I and the Father are one. Guys, and these are only a few. There are so many other scriptures that where it shows us that Jesus is the plumb line. He is the foundation. He is the cornerstone, and he is the lens through which we see all of Scripture. So if Jesus shows us that he is the exact representation of the Father, that his words are from the Father, that his actions are from the Father, then learning about Jesus is the most important pursuit of our lives. This is the one thing that David longed with all of his heart to look into. Christ in us, the hope of glory, the thing that angels and prophets long to look into, but only got glimpses. We have seen the fulfillment of it in us. Even when you go up to the heavens, like John the Revelator, John the Beloved goes up to the heavens and it's a party, right? There's a throne, an emerald rainbow, and seven blazing torches, and 24 elders on thrones throwing down their crowns, and four living creatures covered in eyes. It's the most glorious display that anyone has ever seen. And in the center of it all is the Lamb. All eyes turning to Jesus. Every song of praise directed at him, telling him he's the worthy one. He's the holy one. Jesus is center stage in our lives. He wants us to look at him with the fire of those four living creatures covered in eyes singing, you're worthy because you ransomed nations by your blood. He wants us with the same laid down humility as the elders to take the crown of glory that he's placed on us and throw it at his feet and say, you're worthy of it. You loaned me this glory, but you can have it back. There are a million reasons why we want to know Scripture really, really well. It would, I mean, take all year long. We could just (laughs) cover one reason why it's important to know the Scripture. It keeps us falling prey to false doctrines. It helps us to know what kind of faith we've been born into, the, the church that we've been invited into. 
it, it, it's, the, it's the most um, exhaustive place to find uh, knowledge of the revelation of the nature of Christ. Paul tells Timothy that just watching his doctrine closely will save everyone who hears him. How cool is that? Y'all know what I'm talking about? First Timothy chapter four. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for all believers in speech and life and love and faith and impurity. And until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scriptures, to preaching, to teaching. Watch yourself and your doctrine closely, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. What an incredible admonition from his spiritual father. Many times, uh, preachers, and I know this because I've done it, you know, we're preachers try to stir up some zeal, you know, a quick thrill to be motivated, you know, by achieving some kind of outcome. Uh, it's like a pep talk. Um, but, um, you know, you can hear things like, you know, we got to go and take the city for Jesus and all this. But if we just have these calls to action without solid doctrine, we're just a ship with a big engine and no rudder. And it's dangerous to not have a firm grasp of what we believe and why we believe it. If we're just filled with zeal and not the wisdom of love, then we're going to either burn out or end up in a ditch. I like to say, um, no pep talk can save a football team who never got down their basic training. I want us to have a love for the slow life with God. You know, that contemplative, just sitting in it, just sitting in scripture, like just letting him wash over you and spending time meditating on his goodness. I feel like um, a lot of us, we get, this has happened to me, we get kind of tricked into looking for the new, exciting, like edgy teaching, like something to, you know, really get us pumped up again about the Lord again. Um, I want to say this because I know it from experience. That means that we haven't heard the gospel rightly. There shouldn't be anything more intoxicatingly glorious than the good news of what Jesus has accomplished. The mystery of Christ, come on, to re-inherit all the disinherited nations, to make one new humanity, to seed us in heavenly places, to bless us with every spiritual blessing that is in Christ Jesus. Guys, he didn't just seed us in heavenly places, he set us as heavenly places and took his seat in us. Like... To be intoxicated by the, the real good news again. Sometimes if I think a, a scripture is weird or confusing, you know, we'll skip over it. We all do it. You're like, pass. Nah. Like, <laughs> you're like, what dost thou mean, Lord? Um, you know, if it doesn't immediately interpret itself. We will put it in a category of mystery, put it in the mystery scripture box. And like, that's okay, as long as it doesn't stay there. Because really, a weird scripture 
is often an invitation from the Lord. That's, that's just, maybe that's just the way that I'm wired. I know that other people are wired this way, but when we come upon a scripture and it's as if we read it for the first time, like, I didn't, how did I miss that? Was that in the Bible last week? You know, like, and you, I camp out there and I invite the Holy Spirit and I say, Lord, what do you have for me in this? One of the best ways to approach scripture is before you crack open the Bible and you say, I invite you, Holy Spirit, to show me great things from your word. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to unveil scripture to me. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to reveal Jesus to me as I read this. Because it takes God to know God. There's, um, you know, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuke, or uh, reproof correction and training in, in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And uh, somewhere in Peter, it says also that no prophecy of scripture had its origin in man, but the Holy Spirit inspired and carried them along as they wrote. So we know that scripture is incredibly authoritative and we can, we can trust that we can find powerful things about God. But um, I want you to know that this is, this is predominantly just scratching the surface of who God is. That's how big and good he is. This is an invitation to know the author, right? When you crack it open and you read something like you've never read before and it hits your spirit and all of a sudden you're having an encounter with the living God, like that's amazing, right? When I find a weird scripture or something that's provoking a a theological perspective, I get excited and I study because it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and it's my glory to search it out. Like God actually loves our journey with him into these things. He, he's not just throwing out answers, you know, like willy-nilly. Like he actually wants to engage with us in a conversation. I can prove this. Uh, Jeremiah 33, 3 says, call to me and I'll show you great and mighty things which you do not know. That verse is weird because Jeremiah is one of the, most amazing prophets in all of history. He has like a direct line to to the Lord, it seems. And, and he's already on the horn with God. Let me try to make this make more sense. Stand and pretend like I'm calling you on the phone. Ring, ring, ring. Hey, Sandin, dude, I've got something really important to tell you. Call me so I can tell you that thing. And then I hang up. And he's like, why didn't you just tell me? Like, we were already on the phone together. And this is God saying to Jeremiah, no, you call to me, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know, which means he wants us engaged in the conversation, in the pursuit, in the unfolding of the mystery of who he really is. And he's, he's not just throwing stakes at babies, Just let that sink in. God's not just throwing stakes at babies. You ever seen a baby try to, with like one working tooth, try to gnaw on a filet mignon or a tomahawk steak? It doesn't work out, does it? Baby can't get through that. Which means that Jesus is the milk and he's the steak. And when you need milk, he'll be that for you as you're growing. 
And he's not looking at you saying, when are you going to start eating solid food? You know, I've never looked at my child who was crawling and said, when are you going to learn how to walk? Like the crawling thing, it's good, but it's time, you know, like. (laughs) (laughs) I'm delighting in that stage. In fact, sometimes I wish they would go back to not being mobile, (laughs) you know, (laughs) just open your mouth. There you go. You like, you like that high chair kid? Like, <laughs> yeah. But Jesus, like he is the milk. He is the, he's the first course. He's the main course and he's the dessert. He walks with us through every stage. And guys, you know, sometimes he's, he's like, we need to learn how to love before he tells us anything about free will and predestination. We need to get down forgiveness before he turn, tells us about eschatology. You know what I mean? (laughs) All right. (laughs) Jesus is the key to us being fascinated with Scripture again. I started off fascinated. I started off being uh, approaching Scripture for encounter, and I got into the rules. And for the last 20 years, I've been detoxing from religion and returning to a place of childlike wonder where scripture is a place for fascination and encounter again. That's why Jesus says, let the little children come to me. You can't enter the kingdom unless you become like one of these. Can we stand and pray? Jesus, thank you so much that you Not only you didn't leave us as orphans, but gave us the Holy Spirit. You also gave us a great collection of books, books, stories, amazing things that reveal who you are, reveal you throughout history. And Father, for all my friends in this room, I ask that you would give us a voracious hunger for scripture, or that we would be a church that knows our stuff, and we would be really humble about it. We would have theological humility. Thank you, Lord, that Some of the things I believed about you 15 years ago, I think are hogwash today, Lord, which means 15 years from now, Lord, probably some of the things I think now are hogwash about you because you're better. You're better than I gave you credit for. You're kinder than I could imagine, and you're going to be good to us all of our days. So Lord, enlighten our eyes, make us wise. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation concerning all things scripture in Jesus' name. Amen.